Kyle Perry, how are you going? I'm good, mate. How are you going? Good. Back in uh, back in the big smoke on the northwest coast today. Yeah, yeah. Living the dream back in the sticks of Tasmania. How's it going up in the uh, Gold Coast? Yeah, look, so I moved up the Gold Coast, what, November? And the primary reason for that was because of uh, a screen deal that's happening around one of my books. And I think a lot of Tasmanians definitely romanticise the idea of moving to Queensland just because we get sick of the cold. And so I went up there thinking, yeah, cool, like this is my one chance to leave all my jackets and trousers in the in the cupboard and just and just feel what it's like to, to wake up and not be cold. And all it's done since I moved there is rain. <laughs> like every second day of the week it's rained. And even the locals are like, yeah, it's, it's never been like this before. And- my, uh, my brother's up on the Redcliffe Peninsula and I was talking to him on Friday about all the rain and he said it has just been insane. Fortunately, he's in an area where they're a little bit uh, higher up, so he hasn't been in any sort of um, danger of his house getting swept away, but pretty incredible stuff up there. And what seems to me, I mean, you really, <clears throat> I don't like to draw assumptions or conclusions from um, un- potentially unreliable sources, but it really seems like the uh, government is not pulling their weight as far as resources and assistance and emergency assistance and directing of the whole fucking response. It seems as though it's been incredibly underwhelming based on what little I have seen. No, a hundred percent. So where I live in Gold Coast is Palm Beach and I'm only like an hour, an hour and a half from Lismore and a bunch of people like in the group chats I'm in, the people I follow on Instagram, even like the lady who runs the yoga studio I've been going to, they're just constantly posting requests. Like this is happening. We need people for this. We need jerry cans. We need fresh water. We don't have any clothes. We need port And every second thing is like, where is the army? Where is the government? No one's at the wheel. No one's um, coordinating this. No one knows what the hell's going on. It's, and- it's, it's a bit of a shame that the amount of resources they could invest into making sure people were, were uh, self-isolating and make sure there's enough resources to keep on track of everyone who's supposed to be in their homes when they are and calling people and rolling up on their doorstep. Yet it seems as though there's almost uh, the equivalent of none of that, not even a portion of it from what I've seen. But uh, that's only my limited scope and there could be a hell of a lot more assistance than I'm seeing uh, for all I know. So I'm trying to have an open mind and, and not just sort of tear shreds yeah. off, off, yeah. off political entities just because it's an easy target. Just because they're a low-hanging fruit, yeah. Which is yeah. fair because, I mean, I'm I'm not a political creature. I'm pretty, you know, I work in men's mental health. I'm pretty aware of the complexities of humanity. So I've, I've stepped back a bit too thinking, you know what? I don't know what's going on. I don't know the full story. But, it's, but after a while, you think, actually, this isn't, there is no one coordinating this. Like, there is actively no support. Like, this is, there's going to be, like, documentaries written about this, you know, in the coming years because the people are dying because no one stepped in to take over. Pretty um, pretty shameful if that's that's the reality of the case, isn't it? Yeah. But and then it's... also, who knows, like with everything going on with Ukraine, maybe the army's like supposed to be somewhere else, you know, like it, the world's gone, going a little bit crazy right now. So I definitely wouldn't want to be leading the country, that's for sure. Man, the world has been crazy for the last two years. It certainly hasn't, hasn't been a recent thing in my opinion. <laughs> I think I think it's escalating. I think we can objectively say it's definitely escalating. 
we but I anyway. feel like we hit peak insanity. Like oh, I won't I won't go I won't delve too deep into, into that conversation. <laughs> go go deep. Go in no, because we'll end up talking about it for like two hours, man, and it'll just be me rambling and ranting. Um, what I was going to say is though. Um, it's just another one of those uh, social media topics. I think that people just love to jump on the bad wagon and love to throw some shade at, at like mm. you said yourself, low hanging fruit. Because feeling hate is better than feeling nothing for some people, or feeling animosity, or um, and, and when when you see some things like that unravel, it's human nature to want to be in the shit and want to help. And oh well, for me anyway, I think oh fuck, I'd love being the helping if it was if it was practical, considering you know you know house and uh, dogs and income etc um i'd love to be in the helping so it's all right those who should be helping or you know people we pay taxes into a emergency relief fund where the fuck are they so people Mm. get a bit wound up and start cutting loose and saying rare shit on social media Mm. anyway anyway so um for those who don't know kyle and i met how long ago would have been mate three years ago or so well longer than that would have been Closer to five, I reckon. No, I've only, oh, I've only been doing my job for four years now, I think. Well, so, no, I mean, I was in Hobart for three years. I met you either a year before that or two years. I don't know, bro. Oh, man, neither. I've lost, I've lost track. The last four or five years has gone pretty quick. But <laughs> um, anyway, you came to see me... Um, in regards to developing strength and muscle size and so on. And at this stage, you were just a council worker. No, sorry, I shouldn't say just. I don't mean to belittle your title. Um, you're a council counselor, sorry, is that right, at high yep. school? Yeah, you're quicker, yeah. Yep. And um, you said to me, and I, I've recited this numerous times to people, for example, my mum was down from Darwin over Christmas and uh, she said, oh, have you got any good books? I said, well, I've got about a 1,000 books here, mum. What do you want to read? And she says, oh, I love uh, non-fiction thrillers. I was like, oh, I've got the perfect one. A mate of mine actually wrote this. And she read it in like three days. She read uh, The Bluffs in three days. She loved it. Cool. She um, especially loved the the description of the landscape. She loved the um, complexity of the uh, story. Oh, hang on. We'll, we'll step back a little bit because I could rant on about that too. <laughs> um, so anyway, I was training you a couple of times a week. And he'd said to me that you'd, you've got a script for a book and that um, there was a publisher, like you weren't sort of holding your breath, but there was a publisher looking at it who said it's got real potential. And yeah. um, through the course of us working together, it's like you kind of kept taking the next step and then there's people want to publish it and then it's getting published and all of a sudden you've kind of just exploded onto the, mm. uh, the scene of successful authors. And you've just been, it seems as though, for me sort of following your, your journey, it's been a really rapid ascent in terms of um, – becoming a successful author. Yeah. I mean, like I've seen a bunch of, uh, uh, we'll call it accolades for lack of a better term for like what your book has been shortlisted for, for like, you know, the best thriller or the best book and release in Australia for 2000, whatever year it was and so on. So it's obviously been a huge success is uh, yeah. what I'm trying to get to. And I read it, you gave me a copy and I read it and I personally thought it was honestly nonfiction uh, thrillers are typically well. Is thriller right? Is that how you describe it? It's it's fiction, so fiction, fiction thriller. But yeah, sorry, fiction, thriller. fiction, not non-fiction. Sorry, yeah. um, thriller is right term, though. Yeah, correct? yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, genre, genres are a twisty subject, and it's primarily just used for selling. So yep. you could call this thriller, suspense, um, crime. Yeah, up, up market crime, but I mean, thriller's fine. We can stick with that. Well, it's not my general uh, 
choice is what I'm yeah. saying. But obviously, <laughs> if, if, if your mate rings uh, writes a book, well then you're gonna bloody read it, which I did. And I thought it was I thought it was really good. I was quite captivated. So the characters were complex. I thought it was a well intertwined storyline. Um, obviously, being from Tasmania and knowing the the areas of Great Western Tears and what Limestone Creek effectively sounded a lot like to me was kind of a bigger version of Mole Creek or something mm-hmm. along those lines, or Deloraine perhaps even. And um, so it really resonated with me. And because I love that sort of landscape up on the tiers there and on the plateau, it, um, yeah, that had a huge amount of appeal. And like I said, uh, my mum also appreciated the depths in which you described the wildlife and the uh, local flora and fauna. And it was, it was really, really cool. And I kept, when I was only up there a few weeks ago, up in the Meander Valley, um, I was, oh, well, probably a couple of months ago, sorry. I was thinking to myself, oh, you know, I should like uh, bring the bloody book and try and pick out some of the um, the trees yeah. that you, you discussed, yeah. you know what I mean? Because I'm trying to learn a little bit more about um, the local flora more uh, for the yeah. sake of like uh, developing my survival skills. I'd like to know yeah. more about the local flora. But um, anyway, so I kind of know the story, but I want you to share what inspired you to write this book, I mean, the, the Bluffs, the original book, what inspired you to write that? And I'm going to lead into a few more questions regarding that because this is, I mean, I would love to, it's my ultimate dream to write a book, just a book. I didn't care mm. whether it's successful. I just want to be, I just want to write a book. I don't even know what the fuck about at this stage, but I'm <laughs> going to write something. So naturally picking your brain in regards to the process from A to where you are now and not even necessarily in regards to success, just in terms of, writing knowledge i want to pick your brain in ter- in regards to that process so mm. at what stage did you decide that you were going to write a book did it kind of fall together was it like a short story that evolved explain that process to me i mean to explain the process with due justice we'll go back um to when i was in grade six and grade six growing up in ridgely which is a tiny country town northwest coast of Tasmania and I was a really voracious reader I loved reading it was one of my favorite things to do overnight time get in bed read a book and my whole family's been readers and I just recognized that this was something that I would love to do as a grown-up I'd love to be a writer I'd love to write books and I sent an email off to the author of one of the books I was reading. Her name's Tamara Pierce. She writes like kids' fantasy books. And I sent her an email and I said, hey, look, um, I really love your books. This is why I love them. And one day I want to be an author just like you. And I'll never forget the fact that she responded, which was big in itself. But in her response, she said something like, I'm a very busy author. I'm a pretty busy woman. Um, but I'm going to reply to your email because I was quite charmed by your email and I think you've got what it takes to be an author. And I kind of thought, yeah, I know. That's why I emailed you. Like, I'm going to be an author. I'm I'm coming for your job, woman. (laughs) And it kind of stuck in me just almost the that aloofness she had where she was kind of like, yeah, well, not everyone can do this, but you probably can. And it was the first time, I think, in my life where I thought, oh, wow, there's like, there are some people who, who, who don't believe in you. Like she believed in me, but I thought, well, like there's actually some people who are going to try and tell me what I can and can't do. And for me, that just made me realize that, oh, if I want this, I'm probably going to have to work hard for it. And so that instilled in me like this desire to be an author. 
And so when people ask me how long, like, you know, how long you wanted to be a writer for, I'm like, well, always. I mean, yeah. generally, since I knew I had to participate in society with a paying job, but also as soon as I knew there was something inside of me that enjoyed creating, was engaged with stories, had a message to tell, I wanted to be an author. We go fast forward from that to when I was 16 and I finally, I just finished high school, done really bloody well at high school. Uh, I was ducks of the school, all this stuff going for me, all this expectation. Everyone's like, oh, what are you going to do when you like leave school? What do you want to be? And I would not tell a single soul I wanted to be an author. I was like, oh, I want to like, you know, be an engineer or I might be a psychologist or maybe like I'll study philosophy. Like I just wouldn't tell anyone I wanted to be an author. Because there was still that sense, especially growing up in a country town in Tasmania, that telling people you want to be an author or telling people you want to, you know, make your living writing fiction books, probably it wasn't going to go down well, but also you weren't really going to get much support. Um, and I mean, I don't know whether I was just jaded and an angsty teenager at the time, but I kept it really close to my chest. But what I did do was I sat down and I wrote my first manuscript at age 16. So a manuscript is essentially a book. It's like, you know, a really rough draft of a book, or it could be a good draft, but for me, they were rough drafts. And you prepare a manuscript, got all your chapter breaks, got all your prose, got all your, everything as good as you can make it. And then you submit it off to a publisher to see if they'll publish it. And so that happens, age 16, write my first book, send it out into the world, expecting, okay, cool. I've, I've done the hardest thing I've ever done, which is write a book, which is bloody hard. Now, you know, all the success will just roll in. And then, of course, that didn't happen. That was the first manuscript. So what, when I heard back that that one wasn't probably going to get off the ground, I started working on my second manuscript. Completely separate story, different genre. I think that one was like similar to what I was reading at the time, which was like young adult fantasy because I was a young adult. That was the first and second manuscript of a 10-year journey of writing at least one manuscript a year for 10 years. Wow. So my journey to, like, when did I decide to write a book? Well, ever since I was a kid, I wanted to be an author. And ever since I was 16, I've written at least one book a year. That went on for the next decade. Um, I was writing that same genre, which is like young adult novels. Uh, my 10th manuscript I was constantly trying to get it published and I got really, really close with this New York City agent, um, which is a big deal. If you want to get published, you kind of need an agent. And if you can land an agent in somewhere like New York City, like that's it, you can do this for the rest of your life. And I was so close. And then he replied and said, look, this is a really good story. You've got a lot of talent. I can see you going far, but I don't have any editorial vision for this book. What else have you got? And so at this stage, I just finished my degree. Um, I had a, I got a bachelor's degree in counseling and coaching. And so I just started kind of my first job. Actually, I think this is the same year I met you. Yep. And so what I did was I reached out on like a Facebook page for writing. And I said, does anyone know any kind of editors, freelance editors, preferably with some kind of contact with um, an agency that I can just pay to tell me, what I need to do to fix this novel up. Because if this agent doesn't have editorial vision, I'll just provide the editorial vision for him. Like what, whatever it's going to take. I've been doing this for so long. I'm, I'm just, I'm getting tired. 
I'm never going to, but I can't rest until I get there. Like I've been, I've put too much of myself into this. Mm. So I found this um, editor slash agent, her name's Hayley Nash or Hayley Kerens. And I contacted her and I said, hey, look, we've got this book. It's got some attention. I think it can go far. How much is it going to cost for you to just look at it and tell me what I'm doing wrong? And then she replied and she said, look, before I help you spend your money, if you've been doing this for 10 years, writing the same genre, maybe you should try writing something else. And then straight away, I'm like, man, that is, um, oh, that pissed me off. You know, like, I mean, I've been doing this for a decade. Don't you tell me I need to be doing something else. <laughs> but I slept on it and I just done my degree in coaching. So I recognized the value in coaching. And to be honest, working with you taught me a lot of benefit of, of getting, you know, expert consultants telling you how to fix stuff in your life. Mm. So I contacted her and said, all right, change of plan. Can I please hire you for a one hour consultation? And let's just chat about me, my goals, my fears, my ambitions, and we'll see if we can come up with a different kind of genre and plot for me to write. And then, of course, she'd never heard of anyone doing that before. She's like, no, no one's ever, didn't even know that was a thing, but, you know, this will be my rate. Let's have an hour phone call. We had a phone call. I told her who I was, what I was doing. I was working in high schools. I had a counselling background. I'd just done my placement in a rehab. And then she said, well, what do you like reading? And I said, well, aside from what I've been writing, like I read anything, but I really like detective books. I really like crime books. And she said, well, why don't you write a crime novel? And I said, I can't write a crime novel. Like I can't write serious books. So like all, all I know to do is write for kids. Like I, I wouldn't know the first thing about writing for adults. But anyway, we had this chat and she said, oh, you know, you give, it a, give it a shot, see how you go. Um, got off the phone and that's when I started to sit down and plot out the uh, we call it the synopsis for the, the, the bluffs or like, you know, the main plot outline for the bluffs. Yeah. And so for your listeners who haven't read it, the bluffs is primarily about a group of teenage girls who go missing while on a school camping trip up in the great Western tears, great Western tears being a, a line of mountain bluffs in the kind of central North of Tasmania. And when I sat down to start plotting this book, I was thinking about these, high schoolers I was working with and I was thinking about the the lawlessness and the chaos and the the really toxic drama but also the traumatic stuff that my students were going through and then I started thinking about kind of a bit of a picnic and hanging rock feel about these girls going missing in the bush but I was also reminded of those stories of those um, young girls or young women going missing down like St Mary's Pass Elephant Pass yeah okay and I remember that really sticking with me as a kid. So I thought, man, I like that eerie sense of, of, you know, teenage girls going missing in the mountain. And I'd done my placement at a, a rehab, drug and alcohol rehabilitation centre in Alveston. And I'd met this really fascinating guy who was a, um, he was like a, uh, some kind of drug dealer. And I remember thinking, man, you're an, actually, you're a legend. Like you're a really good guy. You're good to talk to. You've got a good heart. You've got good values. You just stumbled into this business because you had nothing else to turn to and the traumas in your life had directed you to substance use. So I sat down, I thought, all right, this story is going to be about girls going missing in the bush and I want one of my main characters to be the father of one of those girls and I want him to be a weed dealer. I want him to be a cannabis dealer because I want to reframe that narrative about them always being the bad guys. Mm. I want him to be the good guy. Yep. And so I wrote that, smashed it out in three months, Send it off to Haley. She's like, I am floored by what you've achieved. This is phenomenal. We worked together for a bit. 
um, well, like ages, like two years, kind of back and forth working on it. We submitted it to Penguin. Um, within two weeks, we had this incredible, life-changing <laughs> deal come through. They yeah. flew down to meet me like the next day, like gave me, they offered me like this, the most astounding deal. A year later, the Bluffs comes out and yeah, it gets nominated for over seven Book of the Year awards. It's been translated into six other languages so far. It's got a screen deal attached to it now. And all of this happened in the middle of a bloody pandemic. So, <laughs> Probably, perhaps, perhaps it was a perfect circumstances to facilitate it, if you think about it. I mean, if people are sitting around at home uh, twiddling their thumbs for the majority of the time, then they're probably going to be reading more. It might have been uh, part, part and parcel. Well, um, you would think so, but there's different things that go into releasing a book. And when you're an unknown person like me, the chance to visit booksellers and bookshops, as well as book clubs and signings, goes a very long way to selling uh, books. Okay, yeah. So it actually it had a pretty significant detrimental effect on book sales. Yep, yep, that makes sense. Anyway. Um, going back to a point you made there, which was interesting, when you weren't quite sure and you had the advice about um, writing what you read predominantly as opposed to what you wanted to write. Mm. I remember reading some advice. I don't remember where I came across it, but I know it was from someone reputable and that's why it's stuck in my head. And it was when you can't write, it was just about, oh, sorry, I think the topic was about writer's block. And it was a case of like, well, um, like any person who's trying to advance in a certain skill, it's all about practice. It's practice, mm. practice, practice. So, I mean, a boxer doesn't get boxer's block. A builder doesn't get builder's block. They just continue to do so. So that this person was making that kind of comparison, although although they're kind of not comparable. So the the whoever the person was went on to say that, so if effectively, if you run out of things to write about, write what you know about. You know what I mean? And, and um, not only because typically if someone's passionate about a topic or they know a lot about a topic, then they could probably um, – discuss or go through lengthy thought processes or accumulate conversations, debates, whatever around any sort of topic on which you know, you know, I mean, if you talk to me about, Oh, um, strength training, I could write 300 pages without even trying in terms of different methods and, Mm. and, you know, all different aspects because it's what I know. Um, so that, I think that's interesting, and I think that when I, um, as I said, when I revisit my own concept of, of wanting to write a book, I think, well, I'm going to have to write about what I know, but then I don't know enough about anything that's valuable or what I want to write about. So I kind of a little bit to think on that. So um, the first book has been a huge success, yeah. and the second one has been released. It has, isn't it? Yeah. Formally, because yeah. I know you said you've got me a copy. I wasn't sure whether it had formally been released or not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And what was that called? So the second book's called The Deep, and that was released August last year. And uh, that story is centred around, it's on the east coast, based on the east coast of Tasmania, down Eagle Hawk Neck. And it's mainly about a guy called Mac who belongs to a drug-dealing dynasty family down there that deal a lot in ice, and they use um, abalone farming as a bit of a vehicle to um, pedal there their product and how the story kicks off is that his nephew, a 13 year old forest washes up on the shore after being missing for seven years, which then kicks off a lot of questions about where he's been, where are his parents who also went missing and what does this mean for the family? What does this mean for Mac? 
and uh, that's where it kicks off. And that book's been like, like just probably more successful than the blast. It's had, you know, just as it's had better sales, it's had better reviews, it's had a lot more. Um, yeah, it's been it's gone awesome. Like it's it's been one of those kind of dream second books because you're always worried that you can't follow up your debut, especially when your debut is as successful as mine was. Um, so it's been awesome to see the deep really step into its own. It hasn't really been compared that much. People are like, I love them both. And uh, yeah, that's also seriously been looked at now by screen producers. It's probably a testament to the first book, <clears throat> excuse me, because I mean, like a movie, let's say the first one comes out, people like it. They're, they're pretty typically going to see the sequel. Although with movies, I mean, you might agree that there has, can you ever recall a sequel being better than the first? Yes. Well, that's um, a bit, come Sister on. Act. Sister Act 2 was better than Sister Act 1. That doesn't even qualify. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think Whoopi Goldberg's been cancelled. Actually, that's the first thing that came to mind when he said... Um, that's what you thought. <laughs> that's the first thing that came to mind because that's all I know about the movie. She like dresses up as a nun or something. I don't know. But I remember my uh, stepmom watching that when I was like a child. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Weird, weird choice. I can't really uh, have an opinion on that one. <laughs> I was going to say something more like Terminator, but after, like, when I was a kid, I liked the second one more. But um, after rewatching them as I got a bit older, then I think I liked the first one more. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, the thing about story is that, and I'm definitely learning this um, as a storyteller and as, you know, being exposed to reviews and people's opinions, is that people have this tendency to approach story um, really as a, almost a rigid experience as in I'll read it right now and I'll never change and I'll always have this opinion. Whereas the more we learn about it, the more we see is that when people come back to the same book or they come back to, you know, a different, we see it with music, you come back to a song later, you enjoy that song different. You're in different headspace, you're in different personal space. And the same with movies, you like something in one state and then one year you'll go back to watch it and you'll hate it. It's like yeah. uh, it's a really fascinating part of the storytelling process. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, I hadn't thought about that before. You're definitely right, though, uh, in both contexts regarding movies and songs. I mean, I've got a 30 books I'm looking at on my uh, shelf right now that I would love to reread um, now that I have grown since I first read them. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, one being, okay, so something we discussed extensively when we were working together in that one-to-one sphere, um, we discussed masculinity uh, mm. to a lengthy degree, you know, because it's something I find interesting in, in regards to um, its societal um, perception and, and um, value and so on. Um, the Way of Men by Jack Donovan, probably mm-hmm. one of the most influential books I've ever read. Now, I read that when I was possibly like 22 years old and now that i'm 32 years old i'd love to reread it um with you know now that i have a different different points of view different opinions um more knowledgeable more wisdom i'd love to read it now and sort of um probably i reckon i'd I'd draw more information from it more valuable insights than what i was able to at that age even though i sort of fancied myself as a wise cat at that age i probably wasn't really um but i could say the same for for plenty of books, plenty of books, even those um, like autobiographies, for example, mm, um, mm, mm. maybe some uh, some metaphorical lessons in there from from parts of someone's life that I've overlooked that I feel like there's probably a lot more value than I was able to take at a certain point in time. 100%, 100%. But that also could be endless. I mean, you could say that about just about anything. Yeah, now, you can. What, um, 
while we're on the topic of topics of movies and and other books and so on, do you have? Because this is a, this is a question I definitely wanted to ask because um, there's not too many people in a in a one-to-one uh, sense that I get to discuss books with. I mean, I've got some friends who who love to read, um, and we we discuss books, and but there's maybe only like two or three guys that I can sort of really, really dig to the depths of a book on. What would you say your favourite non-fiction book is? Oh, non-fiction book. We could go fiction first if there's one that's going to pop to your mind. No, I mean, we'll think about non-fiction. Um, there, well, this is, I mean, this one kind of has a strange intersection. There's, there's a book called... Okay, first of all, as in light of what I just said, and as an author, I get um, I, I, I struggle with the absolutes of, of favorite. Uh, yeah, which I mean, everyone does. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. So I usually when when I get asked this question, I always say, "Well, my top three is um, what right now." Um, I'm getting a lot of value out of this book called "A Million Little Pieces" by James Frey. And it's a memoir of his time in a drug and alcohol rehab. The issue is that it then oh, later came out. Can I can it, I cut you off real quick? Was he an alcoholic and uh, all sorts of drug abuser, and um, he was going to die if he didn't cl- get cleaned up? Well, it's kind of unclear because this book got like picked up by Oprah's book club, and then like a few months later, she brings him in and has a big go at him because it, it turns out that. It's not really that nonfiction after all. In fact, a lot of it's made up. Oh, what was this? What was it called again? Sorry, it's called A Million Little Pieces by James Frey. Oh, yeah, yeah, it is the story I'm thinking of. It yeah. is the story I'm thinking. Of. I haven't read the book, but I know of it. Yeah, and there's like a movie and stuff. But yeah, yeah. But the it's a really interesting for me as a storyteller, and especially someone who works in drug and alcohol and with a lot of mates, and just the way he uses language and the way that he touches on um, the 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 visceral experience of what he's going through and he puts it he shapes it in language um yep. it's such a that i had i had lunch the other day with i'm not going to name drop but i i had lunch the other day with a really um influential australian author like he's known on his wikipedia page it says one of the greatest australian authors Ooh. and i was catching up with him to talk about uh, poetry and his writing process um, because one of my best mates is in prison and he's writing poems and I want to help him write poetry, but I've never really studied it that much. And so I said, hey, mate, can you just, let's have a chat about poetry? And he talked about how there's a lot of poetry right now, which is more showmanship poetry. Like some of the stuff you see on Instagram with the rhyming meter and stuff, he says, oh, I think that's showy. Explain, explain that to, as in explain that to me a little bit deeper because I've written a little bit of poetry in the past. Explain to me what he means by that. Well, so what he says there's some that's showy, and he says the actual function of poetry should be more like meditation. So yeah, okay. as, as you're reading it, you should be pulled into like a Zen state, a contemplative state, a meditative state. Now, so if you look at the two on a polarity, um, the showy. Um, poems are the ones that are written primarily to achieve kind of a message to an audience or to evoke some kind of emotion um, to the audience. Whereas the others are more like co-creating in a way with the audience. Like the reader is invited to fill in the blanks a lot more. Yep. Yep. Now I absolutely love showy poetry. Like I've written my own. I'm 
like my social media managers, like, when are you going to put some of them on Instagram? Like, we need to see some of these. It's on the way. I'm all for it. Like, I think it's great. And it's essentially the same heart as song lyrics. Yeah. But it really opened my eyes to just how, and I mean, I'm a bit of evangelist about this, but I reckon writing is the ultimate craft. It's the ultimate art form. It's the most perfect representation of philosophy meets science meets art i think everyone should write i think it's the heartbeat of our culture i think it's the only thing we need to light ourselves up and so within what james frey is doing in his writing is he's kind of nailed this in between where he's telling an experience but the the language he's using taps into that meditative state like there's a rhythm to it. There's a, there's a journey to it. There's like a filling in the blanks that we get to co-create as an author, as, as a reader. Yeah. I'm and with you. So, I'm following. Yep. Yeah. So like when, if you like right now, what, what's my favorite nonfiction book? Well, it's probably not my favorite, but it's definitely in the top three right now of important nonfiction books to me. Yeah. Okay. Can you name another two off the top of your head without yeah. thinking too long? Yeah. There's one called Blue Like Jazz which is yep. called, um, which is, it's amazing. It's called Non-Religious Thoughts on Spirituality. And it's by this Christian guy who went through a real kind of process of questioning his faith and the way it's written, the language he uses, it's so down to earth. It was kind of the first real edgy Christian book that had ever been written. Like it was one of the first, well, not ever written, but like in recent times, it was one of the first memoirs where you've got this um well-known Christian figure talking about how it feels to get high and talk to God while you're high, like that, that kind of experience. Yeah. Okay. And so it was cool because it was, it was edgy. It was countercultural. It had some really, really good messages and his prose was similar to James Frey's. It like, it took you up. It, like, it was like, um, you know, you kind of, you, you, your mind gets into it and then like an hour's gone and you realize, Oh man, like I'm, I'm actually not, the, the guy's name's Donald Donald Miller. Like it's one of those ones you come out and think, "Oh, I'm actually not Donald Miller. I'm Kyle Perry." Like, but I'm, I feel like I'm Donald Miller right now. Yeah, Man, yeah, I love it. I love it. You know, that's uh, it's a powerful and effective writing if it can put you in that sort of a state. Mm, mm, mm. I find there's that there's so many benefits to it too. Like, there's therapeutic benefits. There's uh, anyway, it's just great. <laughs> <laughs> um, one book. Uh, while we're on the topic of favorite nonfiction. Um, probably Into the Wild by John Krakow. Oh, mate. Amazing yes. book. Amazing yes. book. And, and not like, I mean, from so many perspectives did I uh, relate and understand Christopher McCandless and John Krakow himself and many other characters, or not characters, sorry, they were people, and many other people he discussed in that book. Um, so because it personally sp- it spoke to me on a personal level and, and mm. my interests and um, – uh, opinions then um it made it quite impactful quite interesting and i couldn't stop i couldn't stop with that book till it was done yeah, yeah that's it i read that book after i'd seen the movie and yeah so same, if you if, if you would ask me what's my favorite movie i'd say well my top three include into the wild because yep. that changed my life and then i read the book and i got a little bit offended because i felt like john was almost disparaging him some ways he kind of was really emphasizing look, he was this naive kid. Yeah, yeah. And because I read it when I was 16, like I was a naive kid, right? So I was yeah. like, man, like don't, don't, don't talk this down guy. Right? He, he Actually, as a, um, like, as a figure of the past, he cops a lot of flack because of ultimately his lack of knowledge. Um, and well, we'll call it naivety, ignorance, whatever you want to call it, ultimately leading to his death, which I think is a little bit rough that it um, 
you know, draws as much shade as it does from typically the the locals to Alaska. Mm. You know, oh, you know, stupid young guy who walks up in the book. But I think that's a little bit rough. I think he had an ideal. He had a dream and uh, he had the balls to pursue it, you know, and on his own, which uh, deserves a degree of credit and notoriety, even if it was a, a bit reckless. I mean, name a time where anything was achieved in, in the past of human history where it didn't involve a bit of recklessness. Mm. Um now, off the top of your head, can you say what is your favourite fiction book? And you can't say your own. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so there's a series of books called Wheel of Time. Um, oh, I recently... yes. I know the books. I know the books. Yeah, yeah. So I recently became an Amazon Prime show. But um, I'm rereading those at the moment. And in terms of um, books that had an effect on me as an author, um, it was definitely Wheel of Time because they're this massive sweeping fantasy epic. It's like what thirteen books, and they're all freaking huge. But the the way he writes characters and the um, the the politics and the battle scenes and the relationships, it's just it's just next level. Well, the first time I read it, I would have been what twenty one, and I was like, I cannot find a single flaw in this book. Like this book is flawless. Now I've read it a couple of times now, and it's definitely it's not true. There's definitely flaws, but it's yeah. just, I you know, it's it's the gold standard for me of any form of storytelling, nonfiction or fiction or otherwise. Like it because of I mean in in what specific I mean you being a writer you can really break this down. In what specific context you say gold standard? Describe that to me. Okay, cool. So I'm glad you asked. All right, let's look at this. Because I've got my I've got my own opinions on this. This is why I'm asking yours. Because I want to I want to bounce off off you uh, with this. All right, cool. Well, we'll look at a few different aspects of the writing process. If we look at story structure itself, um, there's heaps of learning studies, theories, mythologies around the structure of a story or the structure of a good story. And we speak about something called um, the monomyth or the hero's journey. Joseph Campbell dives pretty deep into this. Um, I think Jack Donovan talks about it a bit too. Yeah. Most, most people are pretty familiar with the hero's journey, but essentially it begins with the hero. He's in the, um, the ordinary world. And then there's some kind of herald or call to adventure. He has to make a decision to cross from the ordinary world into the special world. In the special world is where then he kind of makes friends, makes enemies, has yeah. to survive off his wits, yep. gets to, you know, starts to approach the, we call it the inmost cave, the big ordeal. There's some kind of birth or re-death, or birth, um, sorry, some kind of death or rebirth. He wins some kind of treasure and then he comes back to the ordinary world. Monomyth. Um, the Wheel of Time has that so well because the, all the, the heroes of the story live in this fly-spec village in the middle of the mountains that don't know anything about anything. And then there's this um, kind of uh, sorceress who comes with her warrior, does this massive call to action saying, you guys have to come with me. And they do that whole step from the ordinary world into the special world. And then we're with them the whole way. We're learning about this world with them. We're seeing them flourish. We're seeing them survive off their wits. Um, you see it like every, you know, Harry Potter, he's in the ordinary world with the Dursleys. He gets yeah. the Herald, which is yep. the letter, goes to the special world. Um, Frodo with the ring. Yep. Pretty yep. much any story. Every Disney story follows this. Yeah, so, Yep. So that Wheel of Time does it in like the most overt um, way I've seen, but it just, it's just like, 
it's like it's, it's like it's bigger like it's it's all like five six characters all going through it at once and we're following every single one of their journeys yeah okay um the other important or the probably the most important part of writing is the characters and the characters in wheel of time are just awesome characters they've got flaws and contradictions but they're really lovable and they like make the right decisions and they just you you, you want to see them win you really want to see them win which is really important in writing you have to like the characters otherwise you might as well put the book down because you're not invested and and his prose is just like great he doesn't you know he he, he invite he, he invites you to co-create with him like at the start of the book it doesn't tell you anything about um, who the dragon is, which yeah. becomes a pretty major feature, feature of the whole book. But you don't know until like page 200 because he doesn't tell you. He just assumes you know. And like yeah, that's okay. this, this really kind of, you've got to go on this journey to discover it. Yeah. Anyway, that's that's a few things. Actually, funny. All right. So two, I want to make two points about that. It's interesting you say that because that makes immediately a lot of sense with um, fiction books I have read. Mm-hmm. Um, and quickly, my all-time favorite fiction book. I think I've told you this before is Blood Meridian mm. by Cormac, Cormac McCarthy. Did you end up reading it? Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah I did. Oh man. Amazing. Like no, it's, no. it's, I was so obsessed with that when I finished reading it that I watched like probably the equivalent of two days worth of YouTube reviews to get different, <laughs> to get different opinions on not only the depths of, of the, character judge holden but what had happened in the final scene which i'm not yeah. going to say in case someone wants to read it um but i see because the kid is going through uh, uncharted territory to him so like a different realm and there's characters mm. you're learning about as you go mm. um what was unique about that i found is that um i mean aside from the the level of violence and um pretty little bit i mean 19 i think it was 1985 it come out so not really that long ago but I'd say it would probably have been considered a little bit sadistic for its time. Uh, in comparison now, you know, whatever. There's way more violent shit on telly. Um, mm. But the, there's no uh, first-person narration of any of the characters, and I found that – I thought that was pretty unique. And maybe it's not unique. Maybe it's just unique to me because I haven't read a lot of fiction books, but I thought that was quite interesting because you kind of have to try and figure out what each character's thinking as the story's unraveling, which made it really mm. intriguing for me personally. Um, now, here's have you ever read, and it's highly unlikely because I think it's a pretty rare book. I, can't, I only stumbled across it because I've read some of his quotes, Henry David Thoreau's quotes, um, the book Walden. It's no, about, I haven't. Do you know of it? Yeah, I've heard of it, but so about it. This is an interesting, I mean, um, from, I mean, I've read, plenty of books but obviously not in the caliber as some very versed uh, readers or, or writers themselves but this is this is quite interesting because it's a story about him living in the woods for two years he builds his own cabin you know he's living off the land he sows some beans into the ground he goes fishing people stumble across his cabin he talks to them he discusses um different elements of philosophy regarding society and the future and the past and mm. um he's very very articulate as far as the content, the contents of the book themselves, kind of bland. Like you know, he's he. There's whole chapters. Um, his field, the pond, the cabin. You know that he mm. expansively writes upon, but he does it in such an articulate and well written way. I swear he doesn't use the same adjective twice the whole damn book. And mm. like 
just describes everything with such beautiful depth and it's it's just absolutely purrs along this book like it's it's no i mean because it's written in the middle of the 19th century there are certain like uh phrases and and elements of terminology which i had to reference because i was like what the fuck does he even mean by saying this a little bit out of my league um so obviously it was a different time when people spoke a little different too but so eloquent so bloody sophisticated his writing it was it was just enjoyable to read for the value of the words that were put together regardless of what the hell the story was even about um mm-hmm. so that was interesting that was interesting and i mean i probably wouldn't say to my dad hey go and read Walden. i think you'd find it boring as bad shit but <laughs> as as someone who um loves the beauty in like literary skill or the skill of writing um i think it was fantastic just for that value in itself mm-hmm. um so when you're like, when you're writing, let's let's go off the topic about books because we'll end yep. up talking for three hours. <laughs> um, when you're writing, like let's. So I want to give you an example. All right. As as far as my writing goes, like I've got like literally about three hundred and fifty notes on my phone. I've got two like half filled journals in which I just I just write thoughts on, and my thoughts typically come about a little more structured as I. I'm writing them. You know what I mean? Like it's, yeah. oh, this thing pisses me off. And then, okay, well, I'm going to investigate that in writing and I'm going to start describing it. It becomes mm. three paragraphs. Mm. And then if I think, oh, look, there's a little bit of wisdom in this. There's potentially some insight that someone could gain value out of or maybe this is me wanting to express my opinion. So I think, oh, I'll take it to social media, try and find a relevant image. And dead set, I swear that everything I've ever written that's been, no, fuck, even the ones that have been only a paragraph, have taken me, I reckon, about two to three hours to edit. Now, which is fucking absurd, but I like it to, like, you know, uh, roll off the tongue smoothly. So I sound like, you know, I'll talk it out constantly. Yeah. If it rhymes and I want it to, like, time really well, mm-hmm. um, I'll try and be creative with word usage and, term, like, you know, um, try and have an expansive vocabulary. I'll try and mm. use different adject- adjectives, like not just quick, like I'll try and use swift or something that's a little more less common. And this takes me so fucking long, obviously, because I'm not very advanced at it. I'm constantly looking Google to make sure I'm not misusing words, and I probably do all the go- I probably do all the goddamn time because sometimes I'm using words using for the first time, and it's hard to completely comprehend its correct usage when it's a complex word. But anyway, my point of me asking is, how long did it take you to edit? Like, let's say you've got a manuscript or more or less a full novel. How long does it take you to self-edit all of that? Yeah, look, there's some really interesting points even in that question. And uh, to directly answer your question, I'm lucky now that I've got a whole team that helped me edit, right? So I've got my agent who is hands-on and editorial. um, So she will help me edit. Then I've got my publisher um, who's kind of like, I guess you'd say my manager in in the company of publishing. She oversees the book. She has her input on the editing. And then I have an actual editor whose whole role is to work with me and my book and my words to get them humming along in the absolute best way they can. Um, And that's a really specific skill because he has to, in a way, fit himself into my head, fit himself into my voice and make sure that what advice he's giving me or what editing advice he's giving me is helping to bring out my voice and not uh, replace my voice with his voice. Mm, I follow you. That would be difficult. Yeah. It's like my, his name's Joe Johannes Jacob and he actually won 
um, a national award for editing for his work on the bluffs. Just yeah, because okay. he's such a gun at it. Yeah. Um, and so I'm really lucky now. Uh, prior to this process of editing, all right, this is, there's a few different ways to look at it. Um, the first and foremost is to remember that writing um, as an art form definitely comes from an organic place of communication, which means that at its heart, whatever kind of spirit you're in when you write, um, and not, I don't mean spirit as in metaphysical or, or religious, mm. I mean mm. spirit as in kind of what what mood, what emotion, what energy, what yeah. experience, what lived experience, whatever you're in when you write, that's the spirit that goes out with it. And so if you kind of start editing it too much, you, you clip its wings. Because yeah. essentially, like if you look at um, people like um, like Jack Kerouac, I think it was him who, who had these really interesting um, points for writers and they're just really off the cuff. Like you read them and you're like, man, these don't, like you could have edited these. Yeah. But that's, that's the hardest because you read them and you know exactly what he said, almost in the sense of poetry. And so now I don't get as hung up on editing because I know that if I'm in this mood right now, my readers are going to capture that somehow. Like I can't necessarily explain this, the psychology of it, but I know there is psychology in language. Yeah. I understand what you're saying. Yeah. Um, when it comes to actual editing and looking at prose, it took me a bloody long time to be good at it. But now I'm aware of all the little tips and techniques to get your prose reading well. Um, some of those include, um, don't like um, you said about Thoreau, you don't repeat the same word in the same page or even the yep. same chapter if you can, if you can achieve it. Yep. Um, you want each of your sentences to be a different length to the one before it because there's rhythm. And if they're all, if every single one of them is 10 words long or 10 syllables long, you can sense that. So you want like long sentences split up with short sentences. Um, you want to remove any mention of like ing, anything that has ing, you just try and get rid of it because yep. it's just it doesn't have nice energy. Yep. Yep. It, it's and almost, that's almost a bit careless. You could perceive that as, as such as in like ing is always the, uh, the, the uh, suffix of something that's almost like a lazy adjective, replacing an adjective. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like if you're going to say something like, even with verbs, like, you know, um, he was swimming. Oh, no. sorry, verbs. Yeah, sorry, no, no. No, and it, no you're yeah. right, in both. Adjectives too. But, like, yep. if we change it to, like, verbs, you know, he was swimming. Yeah. Delete that and say he swam. Yeah, yeah, you know, for sure. You know, as she was talking, you know, she talked. And so it just it brings immediacy. Yeah. And what you're always trying to do with writing, or at least in my writing, in my genre, is you want immediacy. You want your author, you want your reader right there on the page with you. You don't want their attention going anywhere else. Does that relate to, and I've once read this, I don't recall again who said it, is that you want to say um, what you want to say in the fewest words possible or is that just philosophy in the context I'm thinking? Look, it's just, there's a, there's a bunch of rules and a lot of them contradict each other. Yeah, okay. And, so, and there's, no, there's, there's no black and white answer to anything. So sometimes if you want to if you want to talk about a really important experience to you, use the least amount of words possible, might not actually achieve the same um, message. Like you've got to remember the art form and the poetry behind writing. It's not a, um, a clinical surgical moment of, all right, remove all the dross. Oh, I understand that. Unless um, you're going for that feeling. I have had a conversation uh, with a friend before we were talking about that, um, 
she believes that she has valuable wisdom for um, the women of today. You know, she sort of identifies well what she considers um, problems within uh, female problems with females in society, or or common female problems, I should say, uh, to not offend offensively word something. Um, and she said that she struggles to put it in a way. She said, "Oh, you write so well. When you write things, like it's all fluent and it's sort of." It's almost like it has a high point and then, you know, it finishes with a punchline. And I said, look, I don't really know how I know it works that way is an effective to grab emotion or to, mm. to build a stimulate thought and then, you know, have a, a, a sort of um, stimulating punchline. And maybe this is only my head. Maybe it's actually not as effective as I'm picturing it. But it's almost like I just read it back to myself so many times that, like you said about rhythm, it's mm. like I, I can innately pick that up somehow. And um I don't know how that worked. Maybe just from reading enough books, perhaps yeah. it's, to, it's purely just mimicking what I've read previously that what I've subconsciously picked up on as effective. But um, yeah, I see how, and I, I see that when um, someone could have a really effective message. Um, and even if it's a short message, regardless of context, if it's not distributed in, in a way that's attempting to capture or garner emotion or push someone's means of thinking in a certain direction, it almost becomes a little bit redundant and that's like um, a huge criticism I have of all this uh, constant motivational jargon I see on social media. It's so fucking bland and boring and maybe that was effective once where it was like three words full stop. Maybe that was like, oh, short, sharp, direct, wow, mm-hmm. so profound. And now it's almost like, oh, three words again. You know, it's, it's almost getting to the point of repetitive that it loses its power. Mm-hmm. I don't know if these are just things that I'm thinking, but um, it's, it's almost like that. Efficiency in the message through, uh, as you said, rhythm and controlling emotion or what the perceived emotion of the reader would be is part, and I picture that being a really, really important part of writing. Well, maybe not a novel because obviously it'd be pretty hard to keep that 100% um, rolling on throughout the length of a novel, but short pieces anyway is basically my limited experience with it. Mm. Ah, But again, uh, these are just things that I personally find i'm not trying to say and, and dictate that they're rules of writing or that they're right or wrong these are just things that i've noticed uh in little things that i've read from guys that i or females as well that i admire they write and that i mimic to a degree and and oh, and even i find that there's a problem in that that sometimes i write something that i think is is like oh this, this sort of sounds pretty cool and it's like hmm i feel like i've fucking read this before or the intended message has been <laughs> said has been said so many times before that I don't just want to repeat something for the sake of repeating and putting into clever words, you know. No, but I mean, I, I think, no, I don't, I don't think that's even possible. I think any message you have, even if it feels like it's got identical intention, it's still going to be different because with writing, there's always other contexts that go into it, especially on your, on your personal, because if it's on your personal face, I mean, you know, on your, on your Instagram, if you, if you and I wrote the exact same words, word for word, the message would still be different because of the framing behind it. Like what, who I am and who you are is going to give a different slant to the message. That's an interesting point. I had considered that before. Mm. That's an interesting point. As in, um, I'm going to have. <laughs> is, uh, let me like it's it's funny the the kind of picture that uh, social media can paint of someone. Um, I've had people have met for the first time and say, "Oh, from your social media, you know, I thought you'd be." 
excessively manly and arrogant and scary and I was, oh okay oh I didn't realize I sort of portrayed that image but then I sort of read it back and I realized that my words are quite direct and quite inconsiderate of emotion at times and that sort of thing I could I could see how someone would build that image um so that yeah I understand what you're saying in that entirely mm. ah so you're in the works of the third book now working on book three yeah and how's that rolling along so far have you had any troubles Oh, mate, so many troubles. <laughs> <laughs> I know we've had a conversation or two regarding um, uh, religious. Yeah. Uh, it was, it was um, no, yeah, elements yeah. of religion regarding uh, Germanic paganism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 How, right. how you, have you done much reading on that? Well, I did. Look, the thing is, and this is, this is part of the – this is part of show business. <laughs> this is part of the um, – the business, no, not the business. It's not the right word. This is part of the craft of writing. <laughs> Makes it sound like you're in the mafia. Like this is part of <laughs> this is part of being in the family. <laughs> um, so with writing, um, my process is I throw everything into a book, um, all the ideas, all the concepts, all the plot twists, put it all in there because now I've got the luxury of editors. I chuck it all in there, throw it all at the wall, and see what what sticks. And so yep. I did that with my first one and I talked to you heaps about, cause I wanted one of my characters to um, really identify with Norse paganism or Germanic paganism. I especially wanted him to, I had a massive subplot with the, um, the runes and their meanings. And I'll, cause I'm quite interested in the runes too. I've got a runic tattoo and um, I put him out there and then my editor came back and she, we had a, I mean, my publisher came back after reading it and we had a really good chat. And she essentially said, look, some of this has to go because there's too much for one book. You need to take it out of this book and put it in another book. Is it too much depth of character or? Uh, too, yeah, too much kind of, how do I explain? It's really hard to explain. I don't even really know if I understand it fully, but essentially uh, the words I use is too much, too many different energies yeah, okay. trying to achieve stuff on the page. Yep. So I had this guy doing his Norse um, paganism rituals on the page. At the same time, I had this sociologist professor trying to achieve her ends. At the same time, I put my bricklayer. And the energies I thought might meld in a really nice way, the same way that my characters in the Deep and the Bluffs do, but I can't know that because I'm too close. I need someone else to give me feedback and tell me if their energies are blending. Yeah, and, yeah, and they weren't blending. They were they were each kind of very specific characters who did not want to play nice. And I was told quite kindly, Kyle, maybe some of these could go on a different book. And I'm like, you know what? I'm really good at taking advice, and so I'm going to take your advice, and I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm going to uh, I'm going to take out that stuff and put it into a different book. Yeah, okay. Um, so the that that has meant that. I put up a post on my Instagram the other day where I deleted 17,000 words. Yeah, and I saw that. I saw that. I almost lost my breath. <laughs> That's <laughs> welcome to my life, man. <laughs> it's just, it's tragic. I spend so long writing stuff and then just one plot twist or one kind of divergent um, idea and everything following that just has to go. Yeah. Um, some authors can't do that. Some authors don't want to do that. And I think, you know, that's part of the reason my writing is a bit of a, it's standing out above the rest because I put in the work. Yeah, I, I'm okay. like, okay, if I'm not going to try and make this 17,000 words, do something I know it's not going to do. Again, coming back to the spirit you write in is the spirit that goes out. 
Yeah. I know what I was, what mood I was in when I wrote those 17,000 words and it's not what needs to be here right now. Yeah. Look, this, this is going to sound like a really shitty, lazy comparison, but it's the first one that popped into my head and it's one that a lot of people are going to relate with. Relate to, sorry. It makes me think of like the last two episodes of Game of Thrones. You know, yeah, you, yeah. like how, and like, let's just, that's call a great it, example. Let's just call it energy. But the energy of those episodes were fucked in comparison yeah. to shit the whole rest of the, the show. It was bitterly disappointing for someone personally who had become uh, invested in that television show because it was a great show. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, that, like, it's like when you go on a, like one of those travel aiders at the airport and then suddenly you just step off the end. Yeah. It's that same sense, that sudden <laughs> loss of momentum. And I find, I mean, that is w- way more significant with books um, and not in the, the context of energy anymore, but in terms of like um, it coming to an abrupt stop sometimes really hurts me. It's like, no, I've become so emotionally invested in this story or this person and suddenly it's ended. What the fuck? What do I do with my life? Um, because, I mean, because books have a level of depth that, that, that I believe movies and television really struggle to reach because you can't describe everything. It would just be useless viewing, which apparently, and I've done some reading is the same reason they haven't put blood Meridian in into a film or even series, because it would be too difficult to recreate majority of those words into a film. You know, it would be very odd. I don't know. Well, apparently some of the best directors have considered tackling and looked at it and said, no, fuck no. Mm -hmm. But, um, Anyway, so you had to delete seventeen thousand words. How many, like, roughly? What's in a what's in your average chapter? Uh, um, put it in perspective, the blast is one hundred twenty thousand words. Oh, holy and that's shit! Con- that's considered long. So the average average um, novel is about ninety five thousand words. So it's effectively uh, like a fifth, or not yeah. quite a fifth. Yeah, okay. That's a, that's a lot. That's a lot. <laughs> that is, that <laughs> is a lot. It's objectively, and that's just in one shot. Like I've deleted, in uh, yeah, I've deleted heaps of words. In the deep, I deleted about sixty thousand words. Oh wow! Because I was told for the same, I was told the same thing. Man, this character does not fit in this book. This character needs to be in a different book. And so I had to take every single chapter from her point of view and cut it out. And that was sixty thousand words. Do you find that you get like emotionally attached to concepts or ideas or character developments because it's like? something that you're personally interested in or that you're like, for example, I mean, the conversations that we had about paganism, it, it seemed as though, you know, there was an enthusiasm to learn. Do you feel like that that potentially drove you, incentivized you to push that further than realistically you probably would perhaps have known wasn't the right direction? 100%. Yeah. And I think, and coming back to what you said before, that quote about you write what you know, it's not, it's not really it's only true in some ways because we write what we know, but we also write what we want to know or we write to be known. Yeah. And and so with my, with my character Mac in the deep and my character Murphy in the bluffs, um, I was exploring what is it like to have a broken man who's been through trauma and drug addiction have to suddenly step into being the hero. Now, yeah. I, I've never struggled once with, you know, drug addiction, substance abuse, trauma, all that kind of stuff. Like, I've had the most phenomenal, you know, upbringing. Um, but I can still put myself in that mindset. I can still explore their emotions. Yeah. Okay. And, and so what I was doing with exploring the, the runic stuff was a little bit of a step away from that because I'm like, this is just fascinating full stop. Let's just, what, what would it be like if there was a character who lived by this philosophy? 
But the problem is, is that the character I built lived so much by the philosophy of, you know, those beliefs. He was pretty much unstoppable. Like he could just solve it. Like he was unflappable. Any issue that came his way, he was really grounded in his beliefs. Like he just was fine. There was no yeah, story. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. No diversity <laughs> in, in that belief system. In the, oh, well, sorry. No diversity in that character, character if they're structured that way, I suppose. Yeah, he's, he was just too powerful, to be honest. And, yeah, okay. You know, it's just a bit. I, I mean, look, <laughs> let's go there because I know how much you hate compliments, but I think it's important for your listeners to know that. So when I first came to you, um, I, I didn't have any form of physical practice. I'd never spent any time in the gym. Um, I'd never, like, I didn't have any real sport that I'd followed past high school. And I came to you because I was looking for, I wanted to put on um, size and strength because I was going for a government job. And so I spent three days a week with you over like nine months. And that those, those sessions with you were so formative in the whole way that I saw myself, I saw the world, the interaction, just, just changing the way they interacted with my body but also those conversations we had about masculinity and society. And like I've told you this before, in a really real way, I looked up to you like a big brother. And so that when I go to write stuff, I'm constantly looking for characters in my life that had an impact on me that I can try and put onto the page. So with the bluffs and the deep, I had characters in my kind of in my day job um, or friends of mine or like, you know, really important people. And so when I sat down to write The Wild, I was basing one character on my friend in Devonport, who's a bricklayer, and I chucked him in there. And then I was basing my detective on a friend of mine in Hobart, who is like one of the most calm, measured, most sophisticated thinkers I think I've ever met. And I wanted to channel his energy. And then I wanted like this really strong kind of character had some really strong um, Norse beliefs but was really solid in himself and that the rest of my characters could kind of look at like a big brother. Yeah, okay. And so I was modelling him on you. Oh, flattered. <laughs> well, <laughs> <laughs> except the thing is, this this kind of, that energy on the page is a freaking good character but does not go well with a rough and tough bricklayer. Like he doesn't need a big brother, you know, like he's, yeah. he's going to go sort his own shit out. Yeah. So, yeah. so I kind of, we had those conversations and I like, you know, I really enjoy, I always love talking to you and just like learning stuff from you and, and trying to put that into a character is a really fun, addictive process for me. Cause I feel like I'm, I'm like touching on the heartbeat of humanity. Like I feel like, I don't feel like, I feel like what I do is quite noble. I feel like fiction writing is just this amazing art and that it just has so much effect. And I love stepping into that energy and I love seeing it on the page. And the flip side of that is then when you have to turn around and delete 17,000 words, <laughs> you're like, screw this. I'm not, this is, this is, who's, who would sign up for this? I don't recommend anyone be a writer. Like it's torture. <laughs> I reckon when it comes to, I'm going to be so fucking controlling i'll probably just try and self-publish because uh, no these are my precious words i'm not deleting a fucking thing this is how it's going out but um i I do believe you would need um other perspectives undoubtedly because i could i could imagine um from me personally i could imagine i would be really really uh narrow-minded and really really one-sided like every now and again i'll i'll put something 
put some words together and um, I'll get Toy to read it. And she's like, whoa, you've like completely neglected this fact or that's very inconsiderate of this person or this group of people or this aspect here. And I'm like, oh, shit, I didn't even like consider that, even though I'd sat on maybe something for two hours. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think I'd really struggle with – I think other perspectives would, would really, really help. So I, I understand what you're saying there. Um, oh, and on that, I'm probably like the world's worst coach at times because <laughs> – Sometimes, uh, you know, in between sets and you, you get talk. I mean, because naturally in that one-to-one sphere, if we're like uh, in the, the powerlifting room at the strength end, um, you know, you, you talk about general day-to-day stuff and people's jobs come up, you know, their dogs. Um, sometimes the conversations get a little bit personal. And it's, it's, it's inevitably going to evolve that way because you kind of need to know personal aspects of someone's life to make the, ultimately make the training most effective. And I'm not talking about like, you know, strange personal things from the past, but in regards to their lifestyle and their job and, and habits outside of work and so on. So sometimes I find myself going on these bloody tangents regarding big life topics, um, giving completely unwarranted opinions sometimes, perhaps. <laughs> I don't know. My clients are pretty good. Like I don't think I've ever really had anyone that's, that's well, as far as I know, has had a uh, distaste for that level of personal conversation. Um, if anything, it's, it's, it's built that trust level. It's built um, mm. that rapport, that social rapport a little bit further. So um, I don't know. It's almost like, oh, yep, look, you are human. You're not some arrogant guy who, uh, you know, was once strong and, you know, it gives you credibility. It gives you a, a um, what's the word? Like it humanizes you, I guess, as opposed mm. to just being a robot. Okay, let's do your one rep now. Get it. We'll go. Oh, good job. Fist bump and on to the next one, you know. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, um, all right. So book three is under the works. When's that going to be released? Well, it was October. October. Yeah. Okay. Um, it's coming along pretty good. Like I'm up to the stage now where I have written it all out. I know how it ends now. I changed everything around. And now I'm starting from the start and just fleshing out each. I kind of go through each chapter and flesh it out now. Like I'm putting in more dialogue, putting in more description. Um, that's essentially it. I'm just putting in more dialogue and description. Yeah. And then I'll hopefully get it to my publisher soon. And then get it out in October is the plan. That is the yep. goal. Yep. Um, and then, yeah, hopefully it's um, my readers. There's an enormous amount of expectation and pressure on me. Yeah, I can fine. imagine. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's like it's, it's, I'm not going to complain about that. It's a good sign. But it has meant that I've written this a lot slower because I kind of – Every time I look at the reviews of the Luffs and the Deep, I'm like, I can't do this a second. Like, I can't, I can't follow this up. Yeah, but I respect the um, the care you know put into because almost like uh, they can make one too many movies on the end of a trilogy just for the sake of making more money because it's easy because you know people love the first three so they read the, watch the next one or read the next one. I appreciate that you've got enough respect for the reader to really want to make it better yet again and putting 100%. that, uh, adopting that responsibility and pressure is a good thing, I think. Mm-hmm. So yeah, what do you, everything. do you think that you'll be a writer for the rest of your work? Well, potentially for the rest of your life? hundred percent. It's all, it's all, it lights me up. It's, it's my favorite thing to do. I'm bloody good at it now. I've got a good team around me. I've got so many ideas, man, like so many ideas. And I've got so many people I want to collaborate with and write books with them. So do you think you'll, you'll dabble in other genres and that sort of thing in the future? Yeah, 100%. Oh, cool. Like, cool. I'm actually, I'm, I've got 
still in the wraps at the moment, but I'm working on a non-fiction book that I'm writing in collaboration with someone else. Um, I've got uh, another, like I'm doing some stuff in the screenwriting space at the moment. I've got, um, I've got these 10 manuscripts I've already written. Oh my God. A couple of them are actually really good. Like the ones I wrote before I was published. A couple of them are actually got some good merit now that I know what the heck I'm doing. Yeah, I could picture you could revisit and sort of reignite something with a bit of um, value. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, like, I, I can see now why they weren't published because my characters were annoying. But if yeah. I can just address that now, um, like, I've just, this is all I wanted to do, man. Like, ever since I was a kid, this was the dream. Ever since, you know, I was an adult and kind of trying to be realistic about my um, professional life and then to step into this with the fairy tale that's been pandemic notwithstanding. And now to have this screen stuff on its way, like, I'm literally like living the dream. I'm the happiest person I know. Like, I'm just like, everything's just going so good for me. And I'm just like, oh, you can hear it in my voice. It's all, I'm just so passionate and I just want to do it forever. And I want, and I was, I listened to your, um, your podcast with, um, what was his name? The barefoot dude. Adam Kavanagh. I listened to him. And, uh, when you talked about how, you know, when you're passionate about something, you want to share it with others because you want yeah. them to capture that passion. That's what I'm like with writing, man. I'm like, I just want everyone else to capture this because I think it's the most noblest of arts. It's the most important of arts. It's the most compassionate and empowering of arts. And I just want everyone to love writing as much as I do. I hope you, in saying that, I hope you realise that when I do attempt to write something one day that I'm going to annoy the shit out of you. <laughs> hey, what about this sentence? Hey, is this what okay? Does this fly? What do you think about this rhythm? <laughs> I expect it. <laughs> I, I owe you a debt still, so I'm not. I'm, I'm stoked to see what you write. I think, yeah, you're a good writer, and I think that um, writing long-form prose would absolutely be up your alley um, because – what, what we're trying to do, I mean, I even do it on Instagram too. Like I've got a social media plan. I've got like people who sometimes help me craft stuff. It's just a, it's just freaking, it's almost soul deadening trying to write this stuff now with an audience that scrolls. Yeah. Whereas yeah. An, an audience that turns pages is a whole different beast. And I think yeah. you're, um, yeah, I reckon once you step into it, um, you'll learn a lot about, how you do need other people to give you feedback, but I reckon you really find a good rhythm and you love it. Time will tell. Um, now, let's assuming there's some um, would-be young writers listening, what's the most, or not even necessarily young, let's assume there are some uh, budding writers in this audience right now, what's the biggest and most important piece of advice, single piece of advice that you could offer them in regards to pursuing writing success or not even success, sorry, in regards to financial success, but what about just success in, in putting something together that they're proud of? Um, okay, cool. Uh, I'm going to give you a couple. <laughs> no, that's all right. I probably should. This is one of those questions I should have asked beforehand because I like to sort of close off with uh, extracting some wisdom from someone in their field and I probably yeah. should have given you a little bit of heads up to formulate something, but here we are. No, cool. All right, I'll go, I'm going to give you... I'm going to give three aspects of advice and because I get asked this question a lot um, yep. and sometimes I change the answer, but I nearly always lead with this The most important thing to being an author. The most important thing to writing is to um, uh, good nutrition, exercise and healthy sleep. Wait, if, are, we, are you, <laughs> what are you, have you dropped in my role when you're giving my advice here? <laughs> If you look after your body, 
if you sleep like you're supposed to, if you feed yourself with good stuff and you get movement in, the, the level of your engagement with writing and the standard of your writing goes through the roof. Because writing doesn't happen in the head. But writing happens in the whole body. It happens in your senses. It happens in your heartbeat. It happens you know, down your bones, your fingertips. And if you're not sleeping, you're not going to write well. If you're not eating well, you don't have the fuel to write well. And if you're not like taking care, yeah, if you don't take care of yourself, you're never going to be a good writer. And that's just bare facts. That could be really said about almost any pursuit in life. I think it would that would be valuable advice. But no, interesting. I, I find that interesting. I think I think uh, that's definitely credible. Yeah, and I mean, like, because you can wing it with everything else. Like, you can you can wing through life with sleep deprivation. No worries. I mean, you'll die early and you'll be depressed, but you can kind of make it. Like, if you want to like do anything else, even like painting, but writing is so much focused internally. And your internal world just gets so easily dislodged by um, external factors. So first point of advice for anyone who wants to be a writer, get healthy and sleep well. And you'll thank me later because your writing will be incredible. That's one aspect of writing advice. The, the next one um, is you have to remember that writing is communication. Okay. It's not, it's not any, it's at its barest form, it's communication. And you have too many blind spots in your communication. You can't be a good judge on if you're communicating well. Just like you did when you got um, feedback from your partner, when I get feedback from my editor, you need feedback to improve your writing. You cannot improve if you don't have anyone else reading your writing. Just quickly, does this, does this, uh, um, is this applicable to all social media? Like can I go around commenting on people's posts whose objectives stem as far as vibe? <laughs> And um, poorly put together friggin' I mean, like, I'm not, I'm not taking anyone's, just quickly, I'm not taking anyone's grammar or, like, spelling. It, like, that's, that's, if it, that's poor, then, okay, that's, that's on you to develop that in the same way some people uh, don't understand good eating, whatever. The laziness attached to descriptive, like, oh, weekend down the West was good. It's like, come on, dude. Like, can't you like, tell us a story. Like, tell us something that happened. Like, tell me an emotion. Give me something of your life more than it's like, it's almost like a, an example of the fucking attitudes of people in the modern world. I just, I just can't, I don't know. I don't want to, uh, the responsibility of writing something. Cause what if it sounds dumb and, and what, like, fuck when I, every time I read vibe, it makes me want to tear my fucking eyes out. Like, God damn it. There are so many adjectives you could use. Vibe has just replaced every adjective in the English language now. And cutesy internet social media terminology just drives me nuts. I don't know why I'm ranting about that now, but it fucking does. No, no, Sorry. no go with it. Go with it. Sorry. Oh, it just, oh man, it irritates me. It's like, it just resembles laziness and you don't have to be a fuck. And like, I've complained about this before and people say, not everyone's a writer. Not everyone has to be a writer. Just tell me what you think. Tell me what you feel. If I get a cool image while I'm out up checking out a waterfall or I'm up on a mountain, I'll just write what comes to my mind. It doesn't have to even be pretty. It could just be, oh, it was a beautiful sunset at the top of such and such mountain. <clears throat> Excuse me. It was a long drive to get down there. My stomach's empty and my heels are sore, but bloody hell is worth the ride. Or, you know, like, oh, I don't know. It's like people just don't want to put effort into shit. And it, it hurts me from someone, <clears throat> excuse me, from the perspective of someone who's uh, passionate about Literary skills because they're reflective on so much more than your your ability to spell and use correct grammar. <coughs> Excuse me again. Anyway, 
rant over. Continue. Sorry. Man, that, that was that was a strong response. There was a lot of energy in that. Oh, it's just something that I mean, it was something I intended to. T- I don't I don't like to waste time and energy on pointing out, uh, you know, bad things or or perceived bad things or negative shit. I feel like it's unproductive conversation, but. I don't know. That one just came in my mind. I wanted to just quickly rant about it, and I, I feel better for it. <laughs> Sorry, continue. Okay. Um, well, now, where was it? All right. So, you, you mean you can give people feedback if they invite it, but um, but generally, if you want to improve, um, you need to you need to have other people look at it. And so, so again, so my first my first advice is about your physical thing, which. To be honest, you're the one who taught me that. I learned a lot of that from you. Cool. Second thing is um, don't – yeah, you've got someone else needs to look at your work, which yep. is something I've learned from my publishing team, is that, man, if you want to improve, you've got to be okay with letting other people see it. Yeah. And the third one, which is kind of related to the other two, is that you have to – okay, so so writing, writing is, again, it's a noble craft. It's a noble endeavor. It's going to cost something. It looks like something. And that means that you have to be okay with being uncomfortable. You have to be okay with, with, with not wanting people to read it, but letting them read it anyway. You have to be okay with sitting down and writing when you don't feel like it. You have to be okay with spending time studying the craft. And you have to be okay with making the sacrifices to look after your sleep. You have to be okay making the sacrifices to drive half an hour to a writing community. Because this isn't, if you want to take it seriously, like you've got to bloody take it seriously. And, and, and the writing is, is a cruel mistress, but also the most satisfying mistress. Like if you can just really um, push through the, <coughs> the fact that this is a, a difficult art form, like the benefits you get out of it are, like manifold but you just have to recognize that this isn't like a a little pithy thing you can sit down and just just have a whack at i mean feel free but if you want meaning out of it and you want like um an experience out of it and if you want to like go anywhere with it you've got to be okay with being uncomfortable and you've got to work bloody hard it's an interesting uh point that i never really considered before um I, i mean i hadn't put too much thought into it whatsoever but the fact that, like you said, you've got to put energy and time if you want to do uh, research and, and take, go to writing communities, etc. It's one of those things that I think people just figure that have the, that people have the uh, genetic ability to just punch out stories or just punch mm. out novels. That's an interesting point. Mm. I mean, like you taught me that if you want to have a you know a good physique, you're proud of. There's no shortcuts. You got to work for it. Yeah, and it's the same way with writing. If you want writing, you're going to be proud of. There's no shortcuts. You got to work for it. You, you could say the same for almost uh, anything that's above uh, an average standard in life, couldn't you? Anything noble, you can say that for sure. For sure, I would agree. Well, Carl, uh, I think I've taken enough of your time, but I do appreciate it. No, this has been awesome. I loved it. I don't even know how like, it feels like no time's passed at all, but I'm sure. Uh, we're touching up on about, after I edit that first bit of us talking, <laughs> out to be about 83 minutes, which is good. I generally, generally try to not take them too long because I remember when I was first listening to podcasts, I thought, oh, two hours, there's no way I'm listening to that. But now yeah. I happily listen to four-hour Joe Rogan conversation. So, um <laughs> But no, anyway, it's good. Thanks, man. That was great. No, thank you for your time. And um, now that you're down here, I don't know for how long we'll have to catch up and have a coffee and um, no more formal chat. It'll just be talking absolute garbage. <laughs> yeah, we have to catch up. Yeah, because I have to give you a copy of the deep because I named the dog in the prologue after your dog, Zeus. Oh, you didn't? 
I did. Oh, Zeus that's... is named after your dog. So <laughs> that's cool. That's All cool. Readers out there. <laughs> Thanks, man. Appreciate that. All right, yeah, Cole. Cool. Thanks again for your time, man. No worries, brother. Talk to you soon. All right.